You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey, I'm ready to talk vaginas. Are you ready to talk vaginas? I'm ready to talk vaginas and learn about vaginas. Did you learn about vaginas growing up? Mm, what I learned in school, which which probably everyone learned, that was about it. Okay, what did you learn in school uh, specifically about vaginas? What did you learn? <laughs> I can't remember. And what I, I just remember basic sexual anatomy, so what it was, what its purpose was, and we definitely didn't learn about any pleasure. Okay, so what did they teach you was the purpose? Well, there was babies, which I know, you know, not in the vagina per se, and then obviously other anatomical functioning. I mean, if you had, you know, the urethra and going pee, but that was about it. Okay, so they actually taught you that there was a separate hole to pee out of? Yes, I recall that. Yep. Because we didn't, I don't think I learned that. Like, I think I kind of, for a long time, thought the vagina and the urethra were the same. Hmm. Interesting. No, I, I do remember it being separate because I remember, you know, learning about the urethra for penises as well. Okay, so let's talk names. Did you have, like, what did your parents call the penis? I only remember it being called the penis. I can't remember if when I was a kid, if it was called something else. When I was a little, little kid, I mean, maybe my pee-pee or something like that. But I never, it was never called anything else. And did your parents use the word penis freely? Like, I can't picture your dad saying penis. I definitely wouldn't say that it was used freely. But when we had to address it, if there was something, it was what it was, which was the penis. Okay, okay. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about my childhood. My parents called, I guess, the vagina or the vulva, the punji. So punji, I, I don't know if it's from the Jamaican side, it could be the Chinese side, or probably some combo of Chinese-Jamaican. It was always called the punji. Um, and I can't for the life of me remember when I learned that it was actually called vagina or vulva. Vulva I learned when I was in, I think, university. <laughs> but I did have a book called Where Do I Come From, which was this cartoon illustrated book about how babies are made. So punji was the word. I'm wondering if anybody else's parents called it the punji, like I'm saying, oh, maybe it was from my Jamaican side. Maybe it was Chinese Jamaican. Maybe my parents just made it up. I don't know. So if your parents called it a punji, please let me know. And if you have a story about how your parents taught you about your body parts, kind of the good, the bad, the ugly, definitely send it our way. So you can email us, but also you can still leave a voice note for us to play on an upcoming podcast if you're up for it. I'd love that. <laughs> it's on our podcast page at sexwithdrjess.com. And while you're there, check out our course all about pleasure for vaginas and actually really for clitorises. It is mind-blowing oral clitoral edition and it's on sale this week. You can save 25% with code podcast. So podcast will get you 25% off. And I think it's a pretty great course and a really good deal, honestly, you know, if I do say so myself since I created and host it. <laughs> but it's got a ton of info on sexual communication, on toys, on principles of pleasure, and of course, so many techniques for touching and petting and caressing and licking and kissing and just giving pleasure to the clitoris and the surrounding area and having better sex and better orgasms. And in the video course, I walk you through each technique and our model Ivory demonstrates on some really juicy fruits so you can learn from home and watch. So there's a series of videos. We'll link to the course in the show notes or you can access it directly at Happier couples.com. All right, let's get into some vagina talk. 
Joining us now is Dr. Nicole Williams, author of This Is How You Vagina, a board-certified gynecological surgeon and founder of the Gynecology Institute of Chicago. Thanks so much for being here and congrats on the book. Thank you so much, Dr. Jess. It's really great to be here with you. All right, I have to ask, what made you write a book about vaginas? Why did you go there? <laughs> Great question. I am, of course, I'm a gynecologist and I've been in practice for a little over 15 years. And what I've noticed over all of this time is that my patients still kept having the same questions and the same concerns over and over and over throughout the years. Even though it's great for me to be able to explain it to them one-on-one, -on -one, I started thinking if my patients, and we have 17,000 patients in the practice, if my patients have these questions, what about other women? Are they still having these same insecurities about their anatomy that my patients are having? And I thought, you know, with the pandemic, I have a lot of time on my hands. And any lit major knows that when you give an English major too much time to do nothing and let their brains go wild, I started thinking, why don't I just start answering some of these questions? And I was going to just write a little ebook to put on my website, just frequently asked vagina questions. But I just kept going and going and going. I realized, oh my God, I have 87 pages. Nobody's going to read that unless it's like an actual book. And that's how I just started just get it done. And there we go. Amazing. So what are some of those questions that people have been coming to you with over and over again in the thousands? The biggest question I always get is odor. Everybody is so concerned about odor. And I explain to them, for the most part, yes, your vagina is going to have some type of odor. Odor, consider it your signature scent, which is completely normal. Sometimes it's a little tangy. It might actually depend on what you're eating or drinking. Generally, it's normal. But we are bred to believe our vaginas are supposed to smell like, you know, bath powder or Chanel number five or, you know, some kind of special bath and body works all the time. But that's actually the opposite of what you want. What you really want, if you're trying to attract a partner, I have research in my book about this, is that you want your own signature scent to get onto your partner because he's going to remember, or she for that matter, is going to remember, or they are going to remember that scent, especially if it's tied to pleasure, is going to bond that person to you. So when I talk to my patients about their odor, most of the time it's normal first. Secondly, you want this smell because it's going to help with your relationship on a cellular level. And thirdly, we are not supposed to smell like Bath and Body Works. So you're, you're dispelling that information and I appreciate that so much. How do we get over the idea that the vagina should be one way? Because we even see this, you must see this in your practice where people come in and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't have a chance to shave or they're kind of apologizing for their vulva and their vagina before you even get down there. Can you tell us how little you care about whether or not they've shaved or I don't know what else they apologize for? Oh my God. They apologize for everything. Oh, I just came from the gym. Oh, I didn't get a chance to shave. Like, first of all, let your bush be free. Like we talked about those glands come from the hair bearing follicles. So you do want you want a little bush that's going to help. So leave the bush alone. So my patients are always apologizing. And I actually talk about a little section in the book where Lysol, you know, Lysol that we've been spraying on everything because of the uh, pandemic, it was originally made as a vaginal disinfectant. There are textbooks from way back in the 50s where doctors would clean their hands and clean the vagina with a Lysol solution. And there were ads in newspapers. This has been going on for actually millennia, way before 1950s, but this is where it came from and it's been propagated ever since. 
Oh my goodness. But of course you do not recommend Lysol for the vagina. (laughs) Absolutely not. It's been dispelled, but the fact that it was there explains a lot about why so many women have these insecurities. Mm -hmm. And people with penises, I don't know that they, they have the same concerns. I don't know, Brandon, like, is that something you ever really think about with your penis? I'm just sitting here in shock because no, I don't think about, I certainly don't think about wiping my penis with Lysol. That sounds like it could be very painful, but there just isn't the same sort of stigma. I think for people with penises, you know, for me to, I mean, listen, I think you're always a little bit self-conscious if you have a partner or you've been with somebody before, but at the same time, no, absolutely. Lysol has never crossed my mind ever. And I see in your book, you also talk about different types of vaginas, right? So Mm -hmm. the so-called rejuvenated vagina, what are the different types? I imagine this is all in the name of having a normalizing conversation that all vaginas are good vaginas. Exactly. So I wanted to break it down in different types, quote unquote, so it's easier to digest. Because when I started writing the book, I'm like, how am I going to approach this? And I I looked at so many different other books and how they approached it. And they approached it by disease process. Like, oh, this is this disease. That's that disease. But my patients don't think about it like that. They think about it as, okay, this is the thing that's happening in my vagina. What's going on with it right now? So I have an itchy vagina. What's going on? There's something coming out of my vagina. What's going on? There's something on my vagina. I'm giving birth. That's why I broke it down like that. So then when you read about each chapter, it makes a lot more sense that you can understand it somewhat better by going, oh, okay, this is what my vagina is going through right now. These are the things that it could possibly be. Now, of course, the book is not a complete repository of all of the things that it could be. These are just guidelines to kind of help guide your conversation with your practitioner. What are some reasons you could have an itchy, I guess it's more the vulva, right? That gets itchy or can the vagina get itchy too? Yeah. Well, when I talk about vagina in the book, I just made it the all-encompassing vagina slash vulva complex because most people don't know the word vulva, meaning the external female genitalia. So I just use the word vagina as a catch-all to just make it easier to write the book. But really the most common is just your run-of-the-mill yeast infection. However, sometimes vaginas just might itch. And if you have a male partner, he might just adjust his balls and just not even think a second about it. But if we have even just the tiniest little, woo, something might be, oh, I got it. That's a little scratch. And then it's done. We go, oh, oh my God, something must be wrong. But I don't know. Brandon, what do you think? I think I'm... I'm almost embarrassed to admit that. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm making a little, you know, adjustment right now and not even thinking about it. So I never thought that, you know, having a vagina and, and, you know, scratching would be considered, you know, something that you'd you'd think about because guys, people with penises are constantly touching their penis. Like they're constantly adjusting or moving or you got your hand in your pocket. You know, there's a little Whew, yeah. Do you think that's because you treat your genitals like it's just a regular part of your body, whereas we're taught to treat it like it's this kind of mythical beast that's not a part of us? Like, listen, if I have a scratch on my face, I scratch my face, even in the meeting, right? I'm not self-conscious about it at all. Uh, you can see me. Exactly. I have a little itch under my nose. I give it a little rub. But with the whole genital area, especially for people with vulvas, it's like, oh, we shouldn't touch it. Something must be wrong. We have to sound the alarm. It must be affected by your cycle and your hormones as well, right? Like I noticed that things feel different when I'm ovulating versus right after my period. And of course, during my period. Oh, sure. Of course you're going to have, and these are all, you're going to feel something different throughout your month. If you're cycling, you're not controlling your hormones. Absolutely. But these things are all completely normal. I think one of the reasons Dr. Jess, that women see anything going on with their vagina vulva 
as wrong if they have to itch it or if there's something going on because everything is hidden for us. With men, it's kind of out there, it's hanging around, it, it's, you can see it, it's very easy to access, it's like it's right there in front of you. For us, everything is hidden, it's tucked in. And that actually goes to what you're talking about with the whole mythical beast. Ancient peoples actually thought that the uterus, vagina, all that would move around to different parts of your body and wreak havoc. So it really was a beast. So if you were sick, if you had sore throat or headache, they thought your uterus actually moved to your head to cause you problems. Huh. Now, can I ask you about the uterus? Because I have some questions from some folks here. Uh, somebody's asking about a tilted cervix or a tilted uterus and whether or not you need to, well, what they asked her is specifically, sorry, what are the best sex positions for a tilted cervix? Ah, so if you're talking about, it's called retroversion of the uterus. It is a normal anatomical variance, like how one ball might be lower than the other one on a dude. It's nothing wrong. It's just that the fact that the uterus normally, the top of the uterus normally sits forward. And if you have a tilted, which is a, a misnomer too, but if you have a retroverted uterus, it just sits in the opposite direction. So if you're talking about that, actually, probably if I had to guess, and this is an educated guess, knowing the position of the uterus, it's actually going to be rear vaginal entry. So hands and knees on female, rear entry for the male, because the angle at which the penis enters isn't going to jostle a retroverted uterus as much as an antiverted uterus. So if you have an antiverted uterus and they are basically hitting it from the back, sometimes you might feel a little something very deep inside. That's when he's actually hitting your uterus and you have to angle yourself a little bit more. But if you have a retroverted uterus, the angle is, should already be in the correct position. It's not going to jostle your uterus around and cause you any discomfort. Interesting. Yeah. And I imagine you kind of have to experiment for yourself, yeah, right? Absolutely. Find what feels good. Yeah. It has to do with the angle of the inserted objects, a penis or a strap on or whatever, because they're also curved, right? Or they bend to yeah. one side more than the other. And that's perfectly normal as well. Exactly. And in the book, we talk about the infamous Dr. Graffenberg. So Dr. Graffenberg, otherwise known as the G-spot, he didn't name it himself. First of all, he's not like going around like I'm naming this the G-spot after myself because I'm just badass. No, um, it was actually named in the 1970s from a 1950s urologist who found that this spot actually right in the anterior portion of the vagina, if you move your finger in like a come here motion, you'll find Dr. Graffenberg's area. And what they believe this to be is analogous to the corpus spongiosum of the penis, like the shaft portion of the penis, which is still very pleasurable, not quite as pleasurable as the head, the tip of the penis, which is going to be our glans clitoris, the one, the little bit that kind of peeks out. That's analogous to the tip, but Dr. Graffenberg is analogous to the shaft. And you're talking about, you know, whether it's vaginal rear entry or whether it's missionary side, female superior, all of these other positions, you're going to want to make sure that you're stimulating that Dr. G spot. And there's always been, oh, Cosmo and all these places like, oh, is the G spot real? Is the G spot not real? Okay, people. It's been around since 1950s when Dr. G identified it. It is real. It is real. Yeah. And the thing about the G spot, we've kind of like, some of us have re reworded our language to make it the G zone because it's not like a hot button. I think sometimes people think it's just a little right. button, but yeah. the thing about it is some people find it intensely pleasurable and some people don't. It's like, even when we think about the head of the clitoris, like we always talk about the function of the clitoris being simply for sexual pleasure. It doesn't mean yes. that everybody likes their head tickled or poked or sucked on or vibrated, right? right. Everybody different. So that area exists and it's there for your for your experimentation, for your exploration. And another piece around that, and I don't know if you talk about this in your book, is the fact that the way we interpret 
or enjoy pleasure changes during our cycle, right? So like pressure against that G zone might feel really good during one period of your cycle. And then two weeks later, it might not yes. have the same effect. It could be uncomfortable. It could be neutral. You must see that more, even more with the cervix because the cervix really changes position throughout the cycle, doesn't it? Yeah, the cervix is going to be closer to the entry of the vagina at ovulation on purpose because the cervix releases the mucus that is going to help the sperm to stick to it. And at ovulation, you're going to want that closer to where the sperm is going to be released. So it might be down. And this is millimeters. This is not inches or centimeters. You know, it doesn't, you know, make this giant move all the way down and back up. This is just a little bit because, you know, we're talking about cells here, but millimeters count when it comes to cells. So yeah, and things are going to feel a little bit different throughout the cycle. You're going to want to feel a little bit more at ovulation and maybe not just before menstruation, because we know that the egg has already been released least and it's already on its way out, you may not have as much response, sexual response immediately prior to menses. You may not, but some women do. And that's the beauty of being a female. Interesting. Interesting. And so the cervix, you mentioned mucus and positioning. Does the texture or anything, does the feeling of the cervix change throughout the cycle as well? Yeah. So we talked about in the book, we kind of talk about uh, things that are coming out of my vagina. There's something coming out of my vagina and I have so many of my patients. And this is why eighth grade sex ed needs to be completely retooled. The whole, you're becoming a woman now that that's done for. But during ovulation, you're going to release a thicker mucus. That mucus almost looks like egg whites and it's very, very viscous. It's called spinbarkite. That if you're interested in, because I have patients who are very interested in natural fertility, they check their discharge. And if you can stretch it, if it becomes very stretchy and it doesn't break, then you know that you have ovulated. So you don't necessarily always need, you can count your days. You can also check your discharge. And my patients actually think when they're coming to me, like, oh my God, two weeks after my period, I had this terrible discharge. And I explain that is your natural discharge to help sperm stick. And they go, whoa, nobody ever told me that. And like, guess what? I just did. Now, you know, tell your friends. Exactly. Tell all of your friends. It's interesting. I remember when I was probably in about grade seven or so, and I'd see the mm -hmm. discharge in my underwear, I was freaked out because I had already learned that I was going to get my period. I don't think right. I had gotten my period yet because I got mine a little bit late. And so I knew that what that was going to look like, but this didn't look like a period, obviously. And I seriously thought like, when is this going to stop? Is this part puberty? But of course it's continued throughout my life. And it's something we don't really talk about. The fact that we, exactly. we discharge all the time. We discharge all the time, every day, and it kind of depends on what you take in. So if you're well hydrated, you expect your discharge, unless you're ovulating, to be relatively thin, yellow, clear, and you know, very easy to pass. If you're dehydrated, of course, it's going to be thicker. It might actually be irritating. So I tell my patients, if you feel like you're having irritative discharge, drink some water because we expect to have this completely normal genitalia and be able to eat like crap and do whatever the heck we please and expect everything to just work like clockwork. And I see you have to give the body the things that it needs and it needs soap, water, and sunshine. All right. Soap, water, and sunshine, but no soap inside, right? No soap inside, just soap full of external vulvar area, just a very mild soap, I, like an ivory or a dove. You know, I don't get paid by any of these people, but just the milder types of soaps. You don't need to, especially, please don't use anything that has a heavy perfume. Because remember, don't want to mask your signature scent. So any potential lover will be like, well, you just smell like the same woman I was just, the same person I was just with. We had a vagina last week. You want your own <laughs> scent. So plain soap, water, meaning use plain water and drink a lot of water. 
That's something that I know Brandon's very yeah. good about. Well, I mean, he doesn't have vaginal discharge. Oh, does the penis have a regular discharge at all? Oh, to my Depends knowledge, I'm a but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, babe? I was just joking around because I think, you know, people have penises. There's a lot of discharge when you're in your early teenage years through maybe mid to late teenage years. And then, you know, kind of depending how much continue. Yeah. Yeah. Self-imposed discharge. You're, you're creating the discharge. Oh, so I have one more question about discharge because I get this often. Uh, what makes discharge normal? Like how can somebody know that my discharge is normal and healthy for me or something's up? Maybe I should get checked out by my healthcare pr professional. So if you're discharged, like we said, if it's pretty thin, yellow, clear, now, even if it gets on your underwear, it turns your underwear crunchy, that's okay. It's just dried. It's fine. Don't use a panty liner because what's on the back of a panty liner? Plastic. I don't care how breathable they say it is. It is genuinely some type of polymer on the other side of that. So cotton underpants is going to be your best friend. They last a really long time and you're not spending money. I even, I did a little math in the book and if about 10% of my patients use a daily panty liner. If these women all stop buying panty liners to wear every day, we will have saved landfills first. Secondarily, we will have robbed all of these companies that are selling us the fact that our vaginas need a, a panty line to protect our underwear from discharge when the whole idea of underwear is to catch the discharge. <laughs> but say that I forgot, it was like maybe about 15 billion or maybe it's almost like a billion dollars or something like that. It's a huge amount. Big money. It's a huge amount. It's in big, the book. Somewhere. It's, it's, it's a huge amount. So let's not give them money because even though it, the average woman, it, you know, let's save them like 55 bucks a year, still first world problems. We have, you know, cotton underwear to wear, get your discharge. So that's normal, normal discharge. Abnormal, if it is, now sometimes you'll get a little bloody discharge at the middle of your cycle. That's also normal because that it's associated with ovulation. So know that too. But if it is malodorous, meaning if it is a strong, strong odor, if it becomes clumpy, then we start to think of yeast. If it's green, we start to think of things like bacterial vaginosis or a vaginitis. It's pretty easy for your practitioner to just check that out. Quick swab, everything comes out okay. Then know that you probably need to be a little bit better hydrated and then keep a note mentally. Oh, okay. This is my range of normal. So then you'll know that for next time. And when you say a little bit of blood in the discharge, is it discharge carrying a little bit of blood or just blood on its own? At the middle of ovulation, your estrogen levels might drop a little bit. Your body thinks it might be time for the period. So you bleed a little, but then it's like, oh, the body's like, oh, not time for the period. The estrogen levels increase again. So right at cycle, anywhere between 17 to 17, you might get a little tinge of blood. So that's not part of the discharge. That's actually coming from the uterus herself. Oh, okay. And so do polyps and fibroids affect that? Like I know I have polyps and I've probably talked about this before and I've been very lazy about going and having them removed because they're, you know, not bothering me too much, but I do get, I do bleed like spot between periods. And I, I realize that you do, you remove fibroids, right? I remove fibroids. We also remove polyps too, because if they're bothering you, so if it's just a little spot or two and they've monitored and they biopsy it, find that it's completely normal, that it's not pre-cancer or anything like that. It's not necessary to remove it unless, you know, if it starts to affect your life, if you're bleeding every day, you're bleeding after sex with that kind of little vacuum suction that the penis might make. If you have, you know, if you're a person who has sex with a penis, then you might get that little vacuum. You might actually get bleeding after sex. Then you do want to remove those polyps. Yeah. Same thing with fibroids. So you might get bleeding 
that's outside of menstruation. I'm not talking about like the one day of a little bit of spotting that you might get that is normal. We're talking about abnormal. When you start spotting multiple days through the month, that you cannot track with ovulation. And we go, well, hmm, you're looking at your calendar. Well, that doesn't make any sense. This is outside of what my normal is. And that's why when I talk to my patients, I explain, it's really important for you to know what your cycle might feel like. And yes, it might change somewhat throughout a life. For the most part, you kind of stick to some basic rules. Now, I want to ask you about fibroids because I have, I've received a bunch of questions. So I know you do surgeries for fibroid removal. I think I've seen some posts on your IG. Can you just tell us what fibroids are and what we should know about the way they can affect lifestyle and sex? I know that's a huge question, but I hear from so many people with fibroids for whom it's, it's debilitating. So what are they? What are their options? What can we do? So uh, first of all, thanks for asking that question because it's it's a passion of mine. I'm passionate about helping women who have fibroids to live their best lives, especially sexually. Fibroids are usually benign tumors. They can range anywhere in size between a pea and a watermelon. The largest one I've ever removed is kind of in the the melon-esque size. Now they grow over a period of years. And unfortunately, African-American women or black women do tend to start growing fibroids in their 20s. And for some reason, we don't know why. We're still trying to look at gene signaling and the like, why those fibroids are getting bigger faster, but not everybody's does. But those patients who do grow these large, like orange sized tumors, of course, it can affect your sex life because When, if you have a toy or a penis or a finger or anything that goes into the vagina, you can actually touch the uterus. And like we talked about, when you jostle the uterus around, it can be incredibly, incredibly painful. And that's a deeper kind of pain sensation that you wouldn't get if you say had vaginal muscle spasm, which is a very, very different type of pain. So those patients who do have fibroids, it can be incredibly debilitating. Options for fibroids include anything between medication or surgery or a combination of the two. I've had patients tell me they've become vegan for a whole year. They had no dairy products and did everything they thought would help the fibroids not grow. Unfortunately, there just hasn't been enough data. And the patients who have told me that, okay, well, I was vegan for a year, their fibroids still grew, unfortunately. So when I'm looking on IG and other social media sites about these people who are saying, oh, well, if you do this particular diet, then your fibroids are going to shrink. I'm going to call BS on all of that because there has yet to be any diet or anything that can shrink a fibroid. Now, of course, we want you to live a healthy lifestyle. That's still incredibly important for your overall health. When it comes to shrinkage, we have medications you'll not want to talk to your physician practitioner about, or surgeries, which might include laparoscopic surgery, surgery with very tiny holes, or maybe you have to do an open surgery like that of a C-section, either of these things. It kind of depends on the size of the fibroid and what your goals are with the uterus. How do you diagnose a fibroid if somebody's worried, like I have a fibroid? How do they know? A lot of times you'll have family members with fibroids. Ask an aunt, your mom, older sisters, if they're a little bit older, you know, but for yourself, if you have no relatives with fibroids, if your periods become very, very heavy, if you're changing your sanitary protection, you know, every hour, or if you get really tired, palpitations, fatigue, 
you're staining through your clothing, that's abnormal uterine bleeding. And that should be the easiest way to diagnose fibroids is suspicion. So if your period changes, get V to a practitioner and an ultrasound. Ultrasounds, even in the United States with our terrible health system, you know, go Canada, it's still pretty cheap tests and can give you a lot of information. Okay, great. And I, I know people can learn so much more about you, your work, the vagina, healthy sexuality in your in your book. This is how you vagina available anywhere books are sold. Really, really appreciate you sharing your expertise, your insights today. Uh, any last thoughts on what you'd like people to take away from your work and from this is how you vagina? Um, let's see. So from this is how you vagina, most of the time your vagina is normal. Embrace her in all of her vagina glory have questions, talk to a practitioner, and for fibroids, heavy bleeding, don't wait, don't wait. Because if you are in your late 20s, early 30s, and your periods change, just don't go, oh, okay, and just, just do nothing about it. If you feel like something is not right, go get it checked out. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for your time today. All the yeah. best and congrats with This Is How You Vagina. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. I just got my copy yesterday and I'm sure other folks are going to go out there and get this book. Dr. Nicole Williams, board certified gynecologic surgeon and founder of the Gynecology Institute of Chicago. We'll make sure to leave all of your handles and links in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Dr. Jess. And thank you for listening. Once again, we're running a 25% off sale on the mind-blowing oral courses this week at happiercouples.com. I said it was the clitoral one in the beginning, but it's both of them, the clitoris and the penis. So we've all got something to learn. Check them out. Use discount code podcast to save. I hope you are having a great one wherever you're at. Please keep your questions coming. And we will be back next Friday and every Friday with a brand new episode. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.